0: Yes, yes, this is Jordan Martin streaming from my screen to yours. You're tuned into the Screens Arounds podcast where we discuss screens, tech, how we interact with it, internet culture, and rhymes, art, music, the things that inspire us. On this podcast, we share our stories through screens. And on this episode, I'll be sharing my own personal story along with the longtime homie Chris Williams, a.k.a. Physics, and he works between the film, music, and podcast spaces. I was so inspired by Fred Hampton's portrayal in Judas and the Black Messiah. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Black Panther Party's socialist message and use of both art and activism to spread it. Then in segment two, you'll hear my convo with physics, and we'll be breaking down recent black films One Night in Miami, Malcolm and Marie, and the aforementioned Judas and the Black Messiah. If you like what you're hearing, share it on social. You can find me on all platforms at Jordan underscore Martins. And you can also find the Screens and Rhymes feed on Twitter at Screens Rhymes and tap in. Stay tuned for all the upcoming episodes. Shout out to the real ones who've already subscribed. Yeah.
1: Go to the federal bill and have a demonstration that's to educate, a demonstration that is uh, disciplined and organized. You know, that's what we're going to have to do and let them see the examples.
0: Yes. Screens and Rhymes podcast episode four. If you don't know me by now, my name is Jordan Martins. I'm an artist, entrepreneur, and change agent, and I share stories through screens using digital media. And I'm interested in the intersection between art, technology, and education. So personally, I was blown away by seeing how well the Black Panthers were depicted in Shaka King's film. And I definitely had to open with a reflection on the Panthers today before we got into the discussion of film. It's crazy that a brother got a pro film made by Warner Brothers. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the most gangster shit I've seen in a very long time, right? So before we get too deep into the talk about the Panthers... I definitely just wanna talk about something that's top of mind that we're dealing with. And it goes to my love of black people and Pan-African unity. And I would say this with love, but black people, we need to be taking the COVID vaccine. There's a lot a lot of ignorance right now about the COVID vaccine from people that I care about in my life and I've had conversations. So that's why if you go back and listen to the Lapse episode, episode three, I discussed with Erica Mitten, who had already gotten the vaccine, and we talk a lot about this. So I've done a lot of research on this particular topic. I really, really want to encourage black folks to do it. Look, there's a history of black and brown people being exploited by the healthcare system. There's racism in the healthcare system. Yes, that's that's all true. I'm not saying that's not true. But if you're looking at what the science says, and you're listening to what the medical experts say, you really should be taking this vaccine. And I'm just going to give you all a couple numbers. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. We're going to be quoting Hove a lot in this episode. I'm going to give you all just some numbers. And this is from Derek Thompson of The Atlantic, who's been doing a lot of pieces around the vaccine. And he's saying that 30% of people are in wait and see mode with the vaccine. It's not great. I know that's disproportionately high with black communities, just awful convos that I'm having, right? So the vaccines that are out and available in the States right now, all vaccines are 100% effective in preventing hospitalizations and deaths. And that was over 75,000 trials across all vaccines. So at worst, if you take the vaccine, it could save your life or prevent you from going to the hospital. Right. Especially for my 45 and under crowd. There's the AstraZeneca vaccine, which doesn't work as well on elders, but people 45 and under, a.k.a. people listening to this pod, you know, that could be effective as well. It's only available in the UK. It's not even available in the States right now. So the numbers that I find people getting caught up with is the efficiency against symptomatic infection. And that's in the high 90s for the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine in particular. So that's why I'm most excited about when I get the opportunity taking those. And again, Erica had taken, I believe, the Moderna vaccine, and we talked about it in episode three. But that's in the 90 percentile for the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine they might not prevent you from getting it, right? That's why we're wearing masks. We're still masking up, doing all these things, and this panty being careful, social distancing. But if you were to get it, they're especially the Moderna and Pfizer, in the high 90s efficient against you being symptomatic with the infection. So get the vaccine. It'll literally save your life. Or if you get hit with symptoms, most likely it'll be minor and you'll be asymptomatic. So I just want to open with that because this episode is grounded in my love for black people, black culture, black film, and we need to talk about this because this is something in our community where I get where the history is, but there's a lot of ignorance, unfortunately. We got to listen to the science more. We got to do better.
1: Because we've said all power to the people. All the power is manifested in the people. We don't have any people whose lives we believe that should be thrown away.
0: All right, now that I got that little PSA out of the way, shout out to my college radio days where I had to do PSAs to start the show. So I'm, I'm bringing it back there. I want to talk about the Panthers and how I'm very inspired by them personally. So speaking about the college days, when I was on campus at Northeastern, I was part of something called the Onyx Informer, which was a black magazine. I was graphic designer, writer, editor, but that literally started as a newspaper on a college campus. And that's how the Black Panthers were disseminating their message, right? So a lot of black publications you might see on campuses, you might not even be aware that that's actually Rooted in the newspapers that circulated, and that's how the Panthers spread their information. So, I actually have had the opportunity to thumb through both newspapers from the Black Panthers as well as pamphlets from the Young Lords at the Interference Archive in Brooklyn. And I've actually had the opportunity to learn from people who were part of the Young Lords Party, also shown in the film Judas and the Black Messiah. I did a fellowship with CCC-ADI, which is Caribbean Cultural Center African Diaspora Institute, called the Innovative Cultural Advocacy Fellowship, and we actually learned from folks who were around when the Young Lords in New York City. For those who don't know, that's like basically the Latino answer to the Panthers and the Puerto Rican diaspora in New York City was heavily involved in that. So we learned from folks like Dr. Vega who were members of the party and elders who were actively involved in the scenes and and they would come and teach us. So I study revolutionary politics and done a lot of community work in the past and these have shaped my views. Social change and addressing social inequality is a big part of any work that I do. It's a through line and it comes from my research and really doing my due diligence and learning and really just trying to continue on the legacy of like what the Panthers did as far as the community. So for my own work, I do workshops, Mind Right, Money Right, with different black and brown students. I'm doing that, we're talking about financial literacy, and I do that with people from their teens all the way through their 40s. And then recently, I've been doing brand identity and workshops as well for this program called Mass Cultivate Ed, and they are jailed to jobs program where they expunge cannabis arrests and offer really black and brown folks who've been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs dispensary jobs. So I'm out here, bro. In today's episode, we're really going to divide their message between art and activism, which was the vehicle of which they expressed their movement. And people might actually sleep on the art side of it. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to just talk about more of the socialist Marxist message, which is very prevalent in the movie. And again, I want to just shout out Shaka King for being able to do that on a corporatized uh, platform like Hollywood. It's so dope. Fervor,
1: but they don't know how to direct that fervor. So what we're going to have to do is try to rechannel that into some type of revolutionary discipline. I don't. I think if anybody looks at us, we're an example. We try to set examples for the people. The Black Panther Party is the most disciplined organization in the, in the country, and the pigs still attack the Black Panther Party office. So that shows that we're still doing something to the power structure, but we don't have to do it in a way where we put people's lives on the line. That's not necessary, and we try to tell them that.
0: So the Black Panthers were master media makers and using art for social change so i've studied directly their protests use of protest symbols protest signs and when a lot of people think about black panthers they think about their uniforms right they think about the all black they think about the brettas they think about the jackets they think about the pins the boots those are all iconic and that was part of their branding right and that was pervasive in a lot of the newspapers and flyers that you would see and in the film you see how they would use flyers as a form of media to spread information it's no coincidence that the mural movement that we see today, it's been corporatized and we see corporate ads, especially in like L.A. or New York or big cities like Chicago, even Boston. Right. We see murals as advertisements, but our modern mural movement in the United States actually started in Chicago and it was directly birthed out of these revolutionary politics and community mural making was some of the ways that they were creating protests and you actually see that in some of the films
1: i'd have to say that it was the establishment press that is nothing but a tool of Warden nixon's uh, machine we call him Warden nixon because the whole world is a penitentiary and he's just a warden of the whole world and you see these people are just an arm he uses for fascist oppression you know and i think today these fascist uh, news
0: media i strongly believe in the power of media's influence so even at 16 i recognized it but didn't know how powerful it was until i studied it I was interested in doing a media company since I was 16 years old. Everything I'm doing now, that's, that's the time I, I realized that this is super important in the power of media to shape minds. I studied sociology and journalism at Northeastern, but I basically did the comms track. So I've been studying this in college and beyond, but the use of media technology to influence and shape minds is something that I'm super conscious of. And so for myself, I'm super cognizant of what media environments I'm a part of. Again, I've worked at community orgs, I've made media myself independently, I've had cool media jobs where, you know, people will stand Young Thug and not think about his impact on the community. And it's been interesting to hear, you know, when I was super into uh, hip hop in my teens, I'm still into hip hop today, obviously, but... A lot of people talked about how, you know, maybe they started gangbanging based off of listening to the game, who was super popular when I was in high school, right? Like the impact of media, we don't really think about what it has on these communities and it's used as a tool to really shape and control minds. On the extreme version of that, we have Kim Jong-il, who obviously was uh, the leader of North Korea, but he was super, super into the idea of being a filmmaker and he actually... I watched a whole film, a whole documentary about how he was so into making films that he kidnapped stars from other countries to try and make his own films. He was obsessed with media. And if you look at, you know, maybe North Korean media, it's it's a lot of propaganda, but film is, is a tool of that. And super recent example, if we look at Trump, look at the proliferation of Trump, right? Look at Pepe the Frog becoming a hate symbol, right? On 4chan and 8chan memes and alluring to the young white incels who become the Dylan Roofs who shoot up black churches, right? We know that white extremism and terrorism is at an all-time high. It's been rising since the late 90s and 2000s, and we're going to talk about more of that that's tied to economic forces. But overall, media is a huge, huge, huge influence in Shaping Minds, and the Panthers understood that and weaponized that, literally. Throughout this episode, there's some scattered clips of Fred Hampton speaking uh, with ABC News in the late 60s. And I laugh at that watching that because media of the U.S. today is so much less healthy than it was in those days. ABC News at that time was still looking at it from a violent shock value angle of it. Right. Like, who's this Fred Hampton, Black Panther? Who's there aren't black people? You know, it's like still like a gaze of who like they're not really supporting what they're doing, more of a fear. But today, nowadays, the ABC News interview wouldn't even happen. For example, anything that's even like mainstream, for example, let's say Bernie Sanders, right? And he's known as a progressive. People fear him and as a as a socialist, right? He didn't get any meaningful coverage in 2015 for the 2016 election cycle. And he kind of was a footnote in this past election. So he's something that's, he's super mainstream, right? Plug, plug. We talk about that a lot in episode three as well, but- if somebody as a presidential candidate can't get serious coverage talking about super progressive ideas, you know, it just shows that corporatized media does not, is not going to allow these things to happen and these messages to spread.
1: I believe that white workers have been struggling. They're some of the most violent people in the world. I believe that what they need is they need a redirection in their ideology and in their politics. They need to know who to struggle against. The workers need to start to begin to learn that their job is to struggle against the bosses. And until they do this, then struggle. is incorrect. It's like no struggle at all.
0: So I want to talk about the Panthers as far as their use of socialism and ideas of class unity. So the Panthers and other similar organizations were created to fill gaps of the state right if that work was being done effectively they wouldn't even exist right really look at what they were doing to the point where even things like the free breakfast program eventually did get incorporated into our schools now right and into the fabric of american society a lot of cities did that i know i was poor and i would take advantage of free lunch i was a free lunch kid at school and then in the summer times i would go to the park and get free lunch but what really had hoover shook and co pro working full steam and the fbi shook was the fact that the panthers were highly organized they're political and they were creating a united front against capitalism and organizing oppressed people so in the film you see that with the young lords the patriots they walk into folks with confederate flags and they convince them that hey like skin and you know color and race is not dividing us it's just really class right and that's we talk about this later physics and i but you know mlk and the poor people's campaign that's why they got him out the paint as soon as he was as soon as he was talking about class warfare and <laughs> and realizing that class is the really number one divider for us that's when they decided to get him out the paint there's been a strong erosion of organized labor in this country and you see that being undermined by like the amazons of the world especially even google Uh, they they don't really want to see unions across labor because the more organized that labor is, the harder it is to exploit it. Marx tells us that the bourgeoisie need to exploit the work of the people, the proletariat, in order to maximize profit. That's like at the heart of capitalism. So we see that in the $15 an hour debate, right, about minimum wage. It's like, yo, if if we're not paying people exploitative wages, then we're not going to be able to make massive profits, right? So I want to dive deep into that because we're really, really at a place where we have an unhealthy amount of income inequality. And I'm going to give you an example with either the first or second richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, right? Elon Musk might have uh, surpassed him recently. So Jeff Bezos was quoted as saying, the only way that I can see to deploy this much financial resource is by converting my Amazon winnings into space travel. That is basically it. You're not going to spend it on a second dinner out. So he literally has no way he can think of to spend his bread outside of going to space. And this is in a time where a third of Americans can't afford healthcare, food or shelter. Right. That's over 100 million people who are struggling with these issues of food security, cannot afford just the basics of a decent life. And the rich cannot find ways to spend their money. It's crazy. I feel like things are more dire now than it was even in the 60s. Like, you know, black people have more civil rights or people of color, right? But income inequality is out of control, and it's really holding us back. And it really affects every part of, of our of our lives. Like, okay, in COVID, 500,000 people died, but how many of those people had pre-existing conditions or didn't have health care because of the nature of their work? I want to plug a really excellent article from Umar Hake, one of my favorite economists who used to write for Harvard Business Review and has his own platform, but I recommend that you read it. This is how broken our economy really is, and I'm just going to hit a couple points that he brings in this excellent article. Umar specifically argues that things are cyclical to the point where the inequality we're seeing today in the class division that we're enduring in America is a repeat of the 30s. He's not just talking about America. He's talking about on a global level. So he cites in the 30s, 30s Germany, to pay for World War I, they had to pay money back to Britain and France. It created a lot of economic instability, which led to the rise of Hitler. So they were paying reparations to Britain and France, couldn't afford it. So what did they do? I'm going to quote the article. They turned to the most strident and bombastic strongman they can find. They saw in his arms what had been taken from them at root, dignity, a sense of belonging, pride, meaning, obviously they're talking about Hitler. But instead of seeking those in healthy, positive, beneficial ways, they sought them in destructive, negative, and violent ones, turning on their neighbors, scapegoating Jews, immigrants, gays, minorities, and thus the seeds of atrocity and war were laid by the hand of austerity, indebtedness, and stagnation. So basically he's comparing Hitler to the years of Trump that we just came off of.
1: So the people can understand that these people are more capable of building gas chambers than Hitler ever was capable of building gas chambers. And we're going to have to get together. We're going to have to have some anti-gas chamber marches and some anti-fascism marches and some anti-Hitler-Hoffman marches and some anti-Mussolini-Attorney General Mitchell marches and some anti-Daily and some anti-Hammerhead-Hammerhead marches. These are the things we're going to have to do. The people need to be educated. If they're educated, we can resist and we can stop this fascism.
0: And there's been a global fascism wave across the country. If you look in India, if you look in Brazil, even Shinzo Abe in Japan, you know, the conservatism in the UK is is starting to rear its head around the world. And it's been happening over the last four years. And it's no coincidence it's happening in a time of massive inequality globally. I was lucky enough to hear John Lewis speak before he passed. I was part of a union in New York City for the city job I was part of. And it's interesting how they would mobilize unions in times of protests. And even even now today, there's a strike with the Teamsters up in the Bronx, who supply a lot of food for the tri-state area in New York City. Unions have always been a way of getting political favor and mobilizing lots of people. And that's why we see the attack on unions as much as we do today. Most millennials I know probably have never had a unionized job, and that was probably my first and last unionized job I've been a part of.
1: It's a public sacrifice where they're slaughtering the leaders of the people, and the only way we're going to stop that is if it's the people resist that, you know what I mean, because it's not a question of nonviolence or violence, it's a question of resistance to fascism, a nonexist- non-existence, and this is what we're going to have to deal with.
0: We live in a culture that's not conscious about time and impact, right? And if we look at Fred Hampton, he passed at 21. The film Judas and the Black Messiah got made 50 years later. His impact lasted two and a half times more than his lifetime. And in a culture where we're driven by 15-second attention spans and push notifications, you know, we're not thinking about our lifelong impact. We live in the information economy, but what information are we really peddling? We're using this technology to connect with people quote unquote and connect communities but really we're more individualistic now more than ever i feel like i read a really cool book while studying sociology in college called multitudes complexity and social movements multitudes at the edge of chaos but it basically talks about how people use technology in order to mobilize and create social movements an example they use in the book was a 1999 seattle world trade organization protest that's an example from the nineties, but the work of this past summer and the Black Lives Matter movement is a great example, really the past decade of technology being used in that way. You know, the Panthers are still around and they exist in different ways, but obviously after the the era of the martyr, a lot of people were deflated based off of how many, you know, revolutionaries got killed during that time. And, you know, those people who were part of, let's say, like the Young Lawyers Party who came and spoke to me when I was doing that fellowship, they still exist. And they're doing their work in different ways, right? Maybe they're not on the front lines anymore per se, but they're creating art and movements and influencing people through art. So that's the number one reason why I was interested in doing a media company. So I created Screens and Rhymes before I even knew what Screens and Rhymes was, because I created it in college. I knew even in high school this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to shape minds through media. I knew I wanted to do a social business that's mixing a business with a nonprofit. Before I even had the language for it, I just had this innate drive to do that. So, you know, in the end of the pod, we talk about which ancestor are you? Would you be more like Fred Hansen or, you know, William O'Neill? I feel like I was even sleeping on myself with how much work I've done over the past couple of years on a community level, really. I spent a lot of my twenties at jobs where I was really in the community directly putting myself at risk, like from a health perspective to help people, life expectancy from stress of doing community work, right? I did housing work for New York City. Uh, Took a big pay cut to do community work with young people, black and brown young people in New York City at an art and social justice organization in Brooklyn. I think I'm more for like, than I give myself credit for. It's it's just tough because I do believe in, you know, using money and resources and maneuvering show them how to move in a room full of vultures you know type stuff to come up but i've always done it through a community lens so i'm actually proud of myself in retrospect from that conversation but i did have a little bit of a identity crisis but i was i questioned myself more than i should have and that's the purpose of great art right to make you question
1: it's important because there are a lot of people that watch the Black Panther Party, for examples. They observe us and participate with us. And if we can be connected up with this, then it would be very uh, uh, unadvantageous to the people and it would be very unadvantageous to the struggle in that people that claim to be revolutionary would be going down roads that they think might be revolution, but in fact, they're not roads of revolution. They'll be going east when their intentions are going west.
0: So with that said, I'm excited to get into this conversation about Judas and the Black Messiah. Again, the conversation will have spoilers in discussing all of these films. So if you want to listen to specifically hearing us talk about One Night in Miami, you can skip ahead to 3120 mark. If you want to listen to us discuss Malcolm and Marie, please skip ahead to 44 minute mark. And if you want to listen to us talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, please skip ahead to 64 minute mark. I encourage you to watch all three films. All three films are super dope. A great celebration of black film to end Black History Month. But we make history every day. We don't need a month. We know that. Hold me
1: accountable to the right relationship stuff today when my dad is Denzel Washington and I'm trying not to sound like him but I sound like him I'll get my Oscar numb for macaroni and cheese sounds 24 hour lockdown. Macaroni and cheese. I'm putting craft and cheese on all of y'all. Jake. Jake, you think you can do this to me? Serve me box mac and cheese? I'm the biggest guy in my life. Jake! King Kong ain't got craft
0: on me. All right, Screens and Rhyme's podcast, episode four. I got a big homie in the building, special homie in the building. Ten years deep. Introduce yourself, brother.
2: (laughs) What up, worship boy? Physics, also go by the name of, real name, Chris Williams. But um, physics, hip-hop artist. uh, Podcaster, uh director, trying to be more of a producer, so you know, just trying to dabble in everything as far as a creative. So you know, I'm just glad to be on this to talk about one of my favorite things, which is film.
0: Yes, man. I mean, for real, we go back. We'll go back into our history a little bit, but over the past couple of years, any film, I'm like, yo, have you checked it yet? Or <laughs> I remember I pulled up to DC and I asked you for an uh, a indie theater to pull up to in downtown DC and you you hit me to size me i guess that's DC slang right to yeah it's uh, size
2: is DC slang
0: <laughs> size me to um damn what outlet was it it was it was a really dope theater downtown but i remember i saw a really trill movie about North Korea, actually. It was really good. I forget where you told me to go, but it was a clutch record. Yeah,
2: it could have it could have been any place. It could have been um, M Street, which doesn't exist anymore. It could have yeah. been E Street Cinema, uh, which is still around. I mean, a lot of things are kind of slowly disappearing from DC at the moment. So, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's been, you know,
0: around NYC for sure, the death of some indie theaters that I've loved. And watching some of these films in particular, I'm like, man, the theatrical experience would have just been so different i miss going into theaters man like
2: i know everybody you know talks about how great it is that we can just you know stay at home and watch these great movies because i mean this is something that's been talked about for years i mean ever since internet really came around the talk was when are we going to have this experience in the house and i mean i have a great sony system and everything set up but there's nothing like being in a movie theater there's also nothing like being in a movie theater with you know people you may know and then leaving that movie theater to then talk about the movie you just saw exactly like there, there's a communal experience even if you don't know the people there's a communal experience when you see a movie and something crazy happens and how everybody's reaction can change how you feel about the movie you lose Perhaps. all of that when you're just watching it by yourself and also feel you're kind of more distracted when you're in the house because the way I watch movies in the theater and the way I watch a movie at at my house is a lot different. Like I don't pick up my phone at all. My phone is on. My phone might actually almost be off. I can't do that anymore. But in the past, that would be the case. But when I'm home is like my phone is there and I just might be like, and then I have to rewind what I just missed because I just got caught up in my phone. So exactly i mean on
0: my end too i actually comment on that which for which films i picked up my phone for out of boredom which films i was taking notes you know and which 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 (laughs) malcolm and marie the memes you know what i'm saying and how that affects the experience um the theater going experience man especially supporting our indies are important right and i know you're into that as well and you know Shout out to HBO Max for, you know, having Judas and the Black Messiah up for, for back in a, a film about Fred Hampton ultimately. Right. But yeah. nothing beats that theatrical experience. And I, I truly miss it, even with dope setups. You know what I mean? Like it's nothing like like you said, the reactions I'm, I'm thinking of, like, black film like Get Out or bill street you know like films like that yeah. were just different
2: in theaters just to, to to feel the crowd and even you know if you oh, see yeah, especially bill street i remember seeing it was a packed crowd when mm-hmm. i went at um an amc which is say it's the indie amc and usually it's never packed and when i went in there it was like packed to the max like there was no open seats and just feeling how like as the movie goes on of course the love story and everything is beautiful but once we start getting towards that end just like you could feel the tension and the anger of like what's happening and how everybody felt leaving that movie theater and I was like you don't really get that when you're by yourself because you know you can kind of just be like all right you know that was a movie but when you leave like it's kind of like standing outside of a movie theater where people were walking out during 12 years of slave mm-hmm. and just seeing how quiet everybody was, especially if it was an interracial couple, then it looked very awkward Yo. when they walked out. But when you see people walk out, you're like, Oh, all right. I see what I'm getting into. Here we mm-hmm. go.
0: Yeah. I remember I saw Bill street at BAM cinema tech and it was, like, that's a very intimate environment in, in Brooklyn and a lot of mixed couples or whatever. But, uh, I remember seeing moonlight and it was older jewish folks in there and 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 you could just kind of see the how different ages races like you said like interracial couples seeing black film it's so interesting I just kind of scope around who's there yeah. uh Seeing mixed families, just it's, it's an experience to see a black film. You know, going to see Black Panther four times opening yeah. a weekend. You know, the culture. Like I miss seeing, particularly black films and the culture. You know, that that that's missing. Like we we can text people. You know, after to Malcolm and Maria, hops in some clubhouse rooms. You know, but it's yeah. like it's not
2: the same. Yeah, you could tweet about it all day, but like you said, it's not the same. It's, it 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 misses that big factor. Because it just felt like going to the movie theaters during Black Panther, it continued. It was something that, like, it just didn't stop that week. It was like, you know, once Malcolm and Marie went through his week, it was like One Night in Miami, then Malcolm and Marie, and now we're at Judas and the Black Messiah, and then we'll be moving on from here. I just looked on Netflix, and Will Smith has a whole... Thing with Uh Mahershala Ali, mm. it's, uh, talking about you know the history of America. So I was like, that will probably be picked up in the next few hours because I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing that was coming out. As long and as you're I'm like, not what? talking
0: about that movie <laughs> with the trolls or whatever, sus action movie he had. If it got Merchad Ali, I'm I'm pulling up.
2: Shout <laughs> out to Tristan, season three. I binged. That's that. my the 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 one of the best uh, seasons of a show that nobody talks about. I remember seeing that
0: tweet and we we were we were on the same level about that. Um all right, so we're going to let's hop into the film discussion. It's going to be a long one. I'm excited. Um let's start with One Night in Miami. So directed by Regina King, it is based off of true events but it takes a lot of liberties, so I yeah, personally which was also ba-
2: based off of play as yes, well
0: exactly um, so I'm just gonna go off top and I'm gonna give my impression of the film it might change a little bit as we go and discuss it but I gave it like a three and three and a half 3.75 and I'll, I'll tell myself why I'll, I'll tell you why for real I found myself wanting to be on the phone throughout I, I don't know what it was like I enjoyed it but for me personally i i growing up i read so much about malcolm x right muhammad ali i know the history really really well so i couldn't stop myself when we were having like ahistorical moments i'm like damn that's so inaccurate you know we'll we'll talk about that on the end but uh overall i enjoyed it but i feel like there were some performances that were a little uneven you know like just because Muhammad Ali is so iconic and you can see so many documentaries about him. So if somebody doesn't 100% Muhammad Ali nail that, you know, I kind of like wave out a little bit. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a full breakdown. But that was my impression off top. But overall, I enjoyed it. And I, maybe I wish I would have seen it in a theater because I was more distracted than I wanted to be.
2: Uh, for me, it was my favorite movie out the bunch. Ooh, um, good.
0: We got some division. You feel me? Some and, and also the action. only
2: movie, the only movie I didn't pick my phone up during. Mm, so we're <laughs> polarizing right here. We didn't
0: script this. We didn't do nothing. So this is gonna be a good discussion. Go ahead.
2: Um... I loved everything about it. And I also feel like I had to give it like shout out to my wife um, because she's an actress and we see a lot of plays and I've just noticed like me watching movies that are based on plays are like now kind of my shit now. Like it's, mm. it's it like watching uh, Ma Rainey um, and just seeing how it was set up and then just seeing how this was set up. Cause it's like, it takes place in a hotel room. It's like, it how most plays are, they're going to be in one place. And I just loved just taking like these four people and as the writer, the playwright said, he was like, this is basically like the black Avengers that came together like this one night. And yes, it's a dramatization. And, you know, he tried his best to find as much information about what went on in the room when they were in there together, but, you know, he could only find so many things. So his whole idea was just to take it, and you know, basically talk about the black male experience, but do it through a lens of, you know, them being vulnerable, them being able to talk to each other um, about real things that we talk about with each other every day. And it just really connected with me. Um, like you said, with like for me, like you with um hominally, me as Michael Max, you know, when it comes to Shabazz, I'm like very obviously I have. The autobiography of oh, my Every black him. man
0: should be reading that once Behind a year. Me. And
2: yeah. well, actually,
0: the white liberals too. Y'all, y'all need to pull up that
2: book. <laughs> so, You're reading, um, and like the movie Michael X, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but it's just something about this movie really connected with me and it kind of makes me sad that i didn't get to see the movie there i actually kind of mad i didn't get to see it last year when you know technically almost everybody saw it and why it ended up on 2020 in year lists and now you know i don't get to see it the 2021 so i was kind of mad about it but i felt like with the cinematography everything that regina king was doing um i was intrigued i was engaged and i loved every bit of it um i did feel like some points with some of the acting it was kind of a little shaky but i also kind of felt that with most of the movie, with all three of these movies that yeah. there were moments where i was like eh, that was that was a little weird but all right cool you know i'm just going with it but some of it just flowed well together and i feel like with two of these films one being one in miami you know, those little bits that were issues weren't enough to take me out of the movie.
0: Got it. So for me, um, it was shot beautifully. I watched an interview too with Jim Brown being in the actual hotel room. It's changed a lot. It's like pink Miami colors. I, I felt like they did a good job. Like, when they're in the hotel room having those conversations, it felt like the most black out of the films out of me. Like, it was real conversations, right? They're talking about yeah. colorism, selling out. They're talking about so many things, that real conversation that we have, you know? Yeah. So, like, we'll talk later when we talk about Malcolm & Marie, but there's parts where I watch that. I'm like, man, that's a white director talking, right? Like, the writing of of One Night in Miami, I really appreciated. But Sam Cooke, who's probably my, my like, least i know the least about his life but i i I did my googles and i knew he wrote a change gonna come at a certain time in his life so the way that they were trying to make sam cook the sellout was kind of killing me a little bit like like okay so so this this is what kind of kills the film for me a little bit so malcolm x and Sam Cooke died within a year of the events that, that actually Yeah, happened. which
2: is so crazy when you think about it. Yeah, like...
0: 33 years <laughs> old and, what, 40 or 41 years old. Thirty, um, I think
2: 39 for Malcolm. Yeah, and Malcolm was – I, I
0: love the scene when they're on the rooftop and he's talking about leaving the nation and traveling the world and performing Hajj. And actually I love um, – you know, I have family that's Muslim, Hausa from West Africa, and – the prayer scene, they shot it with a lot of reverence. You can tell the lighting yeah. was beautiful. The Arabic was weak um, as somebody who's <laughs> done a little bit of prayer before. But I like the way it was shot. And and I, I, I would say I like the, the the Malcolm performance probably the best. Shout out to um, Trini Brotherman who uh, who plays him, Kingsley Ben-Adir. But, um, yeah, I would say the Sam Cooke piece kind of took me out because... Man, it's it's funny because you, you know about Sam Cooke and, and Bobby Womack and all of that. Yeah, I'm surprised so, they brought all of that
2: up. <laughs> see, that's
0: that's what kind of killed me a little bit. All right. So for folks who don't know, you know, Sam Cooke was an entrepreneur. He had Bobby Womack signed to him. Bobby Womack is a terrible brother, <laughs> not faithful brother. He, you know, after Sam he, Cooke's he, passing, he married his
2: he, wife. He is the embodiment of ain't shit. Yep, or an men of trash he yeah and
0: for real he's like future toxicity times like 20 right and he yeah. even made a song you know um you shouldn't have trusted me so much or you know like like and he went in and and i don't know if he assaulted or he had a relationship with sam cook's daughter as well it's it's like even sam cook's death the way that that happened was was really messy so by the time that they had been in the room he had actually already put out uh, change gonna come but it wasn't yeah. put out as a single so for me they were like painting sam cook as a sellout when he had already made you know a change gonna come by that time so uh like i felt like that was like unnecessary drama i mean i understand that they were trying to have a lot of different yeah. conversations and that was a vehicle but like the thing that kills it though is they double down at the end so he's on jimmy carson a year later right and they showed the what so malcolm when his house is burned down in, I believe, Elmhurst, Queens, by the next week, he's deceased, right? Um, so they showed that. But it's such a weird time thing that they do because Bobby Womack died a couple months after that. He got shot in a hotel in L.A., and it it's very shady. Could be some COA, Intel, pro type stuff. Could have been some domestic violence stuff. It's, it's you know, uh, we never really know what happened but it's shady so it's weird that like sam cook had passed and then a whole year later he's on jimmy carson performing a change gonna come and malcolm sees it in a hotel that like that made it like hallmark movie for me i i I, I know i'm like i'm i'm stressing the details and the facts but like it was just weird i I felt like they did sam cook a little dirty with that that's why he's not even my favorite of those brothers i just didn't like adding that piece of it that's all
2: um Here's what I have to say about that. What I would say is I actually like that, you know, with Malcolm coming at him basically with the whole sellout thing, but then him coming back with like, you know, what I'm doing, it might not, what I'm doing is not seen on, you know, I'm not on TV every day doing the same thing you're doing. I'm not preaching it, but what I'm doing is I'm building, I'm Making sure Bobby Womack and his family's taken care of. Like, I'm putting people. Why I gotta
0: be Bobby though? Why I gotta be Bobby? But but that's who it was. That's (laughs) where that song came from. But
2: (laughs) it just so happens that he just happened to be a horrible person. He didn't know that during the time (laughs) period. But, you know, he was putting Blacks in places that they weren't. Like, the fact that he was at the Copa was a big deal. He was opening doors for people that Blacks weren't usually there. And yes, he felt he got a lot of, you know, sellouts. But you have to have people like that to get to open those doors. Yeah. It's the same thing with Jim Brown. He opened up doors that of places he would never have been in. And if he didn't do it, nobody else would have followed. Yeah, after
0: there's come. no OJ for better or worse if, if Jim Brown doesn't happen. Right. And he's not a, yeah. a Hollywood star. There's magic probably doesn't happen the same way either.
2: Yeah. So his whole thing was like, yeah, I'm taking, you know, he had this song. I took this song. This money's going back into our community. Like I'm doing a lot. And it's the same thing that Jim Brown is actually preaching for, that he's always been preaching for, which is, you know, Blacks having, you know, economic rights. And that will be the thing that leads us out of here. That's how Jim Brown ha- has been. And it's funny because they wrote this play way before he started meeting up with Trump, because that's the only reason he met up with Trump was because of that's how he sees. Black liberation being is through, unfortunately, capitalism, yep. which we'll talk about later. Yeah, on. we definitely gonna talk <laughs> about
0: actually at the intro segment. I did a whole bit on Fred Hampton and Marxism and black socialism. Right. And and, you know, I'm, we'll have that conversation about like, you know, what side of the fence are you on? Ultimately, you know, a lot of the work that I've done has been in community spaces. I believe in that. But I'm, I'm still a capitalist, too. So it's like I, I love that they had all those conversations i something something just didn't sit right with how dirty they did my boy sam cook they had him out here yeah
2: but i I feel like it's it's the same thing where people saying how dirty like marie was done i feel like yeah he got the brunt of it but i also felt like i understood his point of everything Mm -hmm. that he was doing Mm -hmm. because a lot of times there are a ton of people i mean prime example everybody jumps on you know beyonce and like what are they doing for you know the coach and stuff but they're bailing out people like yeah. just because they're not up front and they're not you know the ones on the picking lines doesn't mean they're not doing anything and i feel like what people like that's pretty much what sam cook was saying on his end was like you know yeah i'm not you know up front as you or jim are highly, But what I'm doing also means something like you can't take away what I'm doing. If I don't knock down these doors myself, who's going to come after me? Because this is the thing. Somebody's going to have to do it. And then why not it be me?
0: Yeah, I feel you um anything else you want to say about one night in miami before we move on what's what's your general score then is it a five out of five for you is it a
2: uh it's a a uh 4.5 4.5 it's a nine out of ten so it's 4.5 out of five um it's really i it's second viewings is when i start giving movies fives it's really hard for me to watch a movie the first time and give it a five yeah um unless something like just like it hit me so much that i was like yeah this is it like this is my shit so um, I'll give it a 3.75
0: because I like that. When you double it, you know what I mean? You get like a true number. So that's like, what, 7.5 out of 10? I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk because cause I'm audacious and I gave a 5 out of 5. So we're going to move yeah, on. <laughs> <laughs> he he read the script. All right. So we're going to move on to Malcolm & Marie, which has been the most buzzworthy, controversial. Um, probably going to take a, a bit talking about it. Uh, so... I just want to give a shout out to the homie Brad Ogbonna who shot the New York Times interview with Zendaya and she talks a lot about the production. Um, have you been watching the Euphoria uh, side episodes that they, they did between seasons? I haven't watched Euphoria at all. Oh, wow. You know, okay. I've
2: watched so much stuff that yeah. some stuff is just at the is at the waist end. So. No, it's all good. <laughs> I
0: mean, we all have our, our shows, right? But if you got the yeah. HBO Max, go so... Uh, there's been side episodes of Euphoria because they were in the middle of shooting, um, I believe, season two. And they did these side episodes during COVID. So the production was changed. But it was very much what you were saying. It was like a play because there's only like two or three characters there. So it's a very... There's only been two so far, right? Uh, Two. Yes, two. And one follows uh, Jules. The other one follows Zendaya's character, right? So um, excellent episode like probably the best tv episode i've seen in a long time and it's it's about addiction it's a visceral performance with her and a mentor um he's a it's it's amazing so i would definitely recommend going to check that out um but they talked about basically how covid has changed production and malcolm and marie is is a a two-person show Obviously, new wave uh, inspirations. It was one of
2: the first movies announced during um, the pandemic. As soon as it started, it was like, we're about to do this movie during COVID. And hey, we're about to go. And everybody was like, that's kind of crazy to be doing right now with everything going on. But if you take the precautions and you don't have a huge crew, it helps.
0: Yeah. So I I just want to give a shout out too, because I thought it was pretty innovative. They designed it in a way where the top line crew got paid so it kind of was like yo we're in between shooting let's work on a project shout out to my production folks who probably aren't working or you're putting yourself at covid risk if you're working uh nobody should have watched that wonder woman movie but they spent so much money on on covid precautions for that it's very expensive to do film production right now but they essentially designed it in a way that the, the crew would get paid top of line and they got equity in the film, which is pretty innovative. So I just wanted to shout that out. Um, again, like we're saying, like shifting models, the type of stuff that Sam Cook was doing, that's important that, you know, we're getting diverse on both ends of the camera. Um, So it was directed by Sam Levinson, who's uh, a white director who directs Euphoria and... Yeah, I almost hit you right away. I was like, yo, we got to do a reaction pod because, like, the culture was so into this film. The memes were crazy. The Barry Jenkins meme. uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, just, just I, I gave it overall a 4.25 out of 5. But I'm curious, what was your impression of the film and do you have your score?
2: Yeah, I have my score. It's a 3.5 out of 5. But I really did like the movies. Like, 7 and upper movies I really like. Um. I would say this, it's a meta-ass film. And being a creative and being a person that has worked with directors and, you know, I go to film festivals and I know Black directors and hearing them and Black writers and hearing them talk, it was basically conversations I've heard a lot, (laughs) Um, which made me go, yeah, um, Sam Levison wrote it, but he had to talk to Zendaya and John Washington for a lot of these views because these are not just, strictly white dude views Mm -hmm. um especially like one of the main things is um you know not wanting to have critics look at your movie as political which is a thing i've heard because you know It's not a bad thing. He was like, of course, you know, when once you have a black character, things start getting political. But it was like, I don't want it to. I just want a regular movie that just happens to have black characters. Uh, But once it's out of your hands, it's out of your hands, because the one thing that Malcolm didn't want is what the critic actually did, where he was like. And that's really why he was mad. Um, But the movie was mad of like from the beginning that the movie that they went to go see was basically Euphoria, Uh, (laughs) where um what else um there's a criticism about you know unnecessary scenes in movies and like one of the most unnecessary scenes is Marie peeing throughout the movie where you know it's unnecessary to have this character nude in the film um and then it's unnecessary to have these peeing scenes because they don't really bring anything but it was like oh it brings you know life just random things happening and it was like yeah, I can see that. Um, the criticism about you know a white man about you know writing black characters, where he Malcolm goes through a whole thing of you know how you have this dude do a movie um, about the spirit of St. Louis, which was like one of the first black films ever made, but then go on and then kick it with the Nazis, as if he didn't just do this black film that had black people in a good light, and you know all these little different things of you know authenticity what is authentic you know should things be authentic when it comes to filming things like i'm trying to make something you know to a degree fantastical something cinematic and not something that's boring if you want that you could just make a documentary and that's kind of how he was going with it and i i love the meta aspect of it um and it's funny because that whole um criticism about you know sam's writing has now came up with zendaya talking to uh the new york times about it and feeling that you know her agency was stripped away when people criticized the movie and act like she her and you know john david washington had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with the writing of it just because their names are not there they're like reproducers we made like he everything that he wrote had to go through us and we had to okay it and we had to be like yeah that's true to form of conversations that we've had in real life cuz like i said hearing those conversations i was like these are very black ass creative conversations that you know majority of white directors are not going to know unless you know he was talking to like i've i've heard spike lee have these conversations in delaware especially when during this time period cuz i think this was before old boy came out so this was Really into the Spike Lee versus Tyler Perry thing. Like, mm. so, and anytime uh, Tyler Perry got brought up, like the room got silent, and then he went in because that's in, <laughs> that's how he felt. That's Spike, that's how he rolled. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So,
0: it's interesting because I feel like the conversation around the film, that's one of those walking out of the theater would have been crazy. Going there with a date, depending on. How healthy your relationship was, crazy. Yeah. Um, the conversation was was a thing. Like, yeah, if you know people in film production, if you've been on that side of it, I know directors and producers. Like, yeah, these are things that we know are real. So it was cool to see it broadcast out. But yeah, like I said, like I, maybe that made me like it a little more. But I loved the idea of it being inspired by New Wave, the way it was shot, the yeah. way two characters having a conversation um it's interesting the things that got picked up on in culture like the mac and cheese moment i did think about that i'm like man i don't, I don't who eating regular craft mac and cheese but that was on purpose she wasn't trying to make him a nice meal you know because she was yeah. upset with him it was randomly there could have been top ramen people were saying um few feel like little nitpicks i'm like in a sentimental mood i'm a coltrane head i'm like That's not really a love song. Why didn't they play Naima
2: or something like that? Uh, But I I think that might have been the case. He mm. he doesn't know, and I feel like at the end of the movie, it's one of those things where it's like everything she said was correct, and he doesn't notice it. Mm. Because I feel like the biggest thing is that last moment, and rather than you know, because a lot of people talk about like you know how he's coming at her and how she they were like she was kind of timid, but I was like no, she was listening, she took it in. And then when she came back, she hit him with facts and then he'll blow up and then come back, do the same thing again. But like when she's spilling her heart out to him, rather than basically, you know, being like, I hear you. All he says is I love you, which is also a thing for, you know, it's not a selfish thing on him. It's him not taking account of everything he has already done throughout the movie. And I honestly feel her whole little diatribe about, you know, him. uh doing some Lego movie and then ending up with some white girl. I feel like that is exactly where they're going to end up. I feel, I feel like I almost fell out
0: my seat on that one.
2: Yeah. No, but I feel like we did a sequel. This is where we're going to end up at because he's already kind of stated. He doesn't want to end up being, you know, the black director. So he would do that next big. He doesn't want to be
0: Shaka King who we're going to talk about next, right? Making political statements.
2: Yeah, he will do that next Lego movie. And like he said, Lego movie's good. Even though, I mean, technically the Lego movie was saying something through <laughs> one and two. So it wasn't like it wasn't saying anything. Yeah. It's just you sneak it in. Um, like yeah. Zootopia, you sneak these things in and then hope people get it. Um, but he was like, no, I don't want to do any of that. But she was like, you're probably going to end up doing that and then end up with some white girl and then you're going to go from there. And it was like, I feel like that's exactly where he's going to end because this, this couple can't be together he and when he get on use,
0: he leave your ass for a white girl she yeah the whole script
2: he he and like she said bef- you like yes you had all these things and they might have been taken from other people but you you didn't really start putting pen to paper until i came into your life yeah so what are you gonna do once this is over
0: yeah because you don't have the genius you strip the genius from me yeah it, it was a very interesting
2: and this is a thing of directors using you know lovers as you know there's tons of people that have you know marvin Gaye. he has his divorce record you have a lot of um steven spielberg the movie that he did during like after his divorce you have all of these directors Mm -hmm. that then do these divorce movies (laughs) after everything ends and you know they get it from the person there what but like there's no credit there and i feel like she was right when you know he didn't fight for her to be in the movie he just took her giving up acting in the past. I was like, all right, we're going to move cool, on Cool, man. We're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you try out. I'll let you try out, though. Yeah, I just want to point out a couple things.
0: I still want to get in on the just the conversation around it, because that like it, you yeah. can't divorce that from the actual film. So I want us to talk about... First, there's brothers who are defending Malcolm, which is crazy. He didn't apologize until the absolute end of the film, like you said, and it was. And I, and I don't even think it was actually. exactly. So right, that's toxic as hell. Like we can't sit here. There were both toxic aspects to their to to the to their dynamic, right? It's an unhealthy relationship. There, yeah. it's nothing is ideal about it. That's that's on purpose, right? But brothers is out here defending him, bro like like i was in a clubhouse room by asia monet and she was telling me i I got on at the end but she was saying that brothers were up there caping for malcolm like come on man like
2: th- like we got to take i mean more what is spot- there to cape for i don't do you can you tell me what what were they caping for i don't uh, I,
0: I miss it but i think it was about oh, okay. like oh it was his night it was his success she should have like played her role like you know, some like, but it's her success as well.
2: Exactly, it's not just him. <laughs> exactly. So, I because mean, that was the thing, he didn't mention her. That's what no. started it. If he would have mentioned her, mentioned that the story comes from her, but he didn't want to give that spotlight up because once you do that, the next thing for a journalist to do is to then talk to her exactly. about what the movie, what the movie got correct, what was from her life, like. But he didn't want to give up that power. He wanted exactly. it to be about him. So it is, it's both their nights, but whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The power dynamic was, was, was like, he weaponized his power. Right. And I let's, let's, I'm going to bring up mine. You can bring up yours after the most toxic scene for me was when there was the bathtub scene, which I remember viscerally she's there, she's exposed in the bathtub, vulnerable. He's running through his list like he's DMX, right? Like yeah. Monica Tiffany. You know what I mean? I don't remember the names, but he's he was that was dirty. Like for me as as a man, I was like, yo, like that's like he was toxic throughout the whole thing, but the way he weaponized his past relationships to just like really beat her down emotionally and being like, Yeah, this wasn't from you. I got it from this girl and this girl and this girl and this girl, like that to me, for whatever reason sat with me the most and like was the most toxic thing that I saw. Like Obviously you you could throw a dart And hit a toxic moment But for, something about that scene Really, really, really bothered me
2: No, I agree with you um, And I will add in And it's just a small thing But when he also goes down a list Of like what's happening He was like look at what Look at what the studio put us in Like this place And like everything that came from it Like you wouldn't even be here Just dressed and stuff like that Which I really feel like She doesn't really care about it Like I think she's really there for the relationship because she does see him as somebody that really helped her and he did help her. But then, like you said, he weaponizes the fact that he was there through everything. Like said, a method he of
0: control, right? I gave to yeah. you to throw it back at you later.
2: Cause he mentions, yeah, I've been with somebody else that was messed up, but he didn't end up being with her, but I did it for you. So, like, why can't you be there for me? Like, I did all of this for you. Why aren't you doing the same thing for me? Which is not, she didn't ask you to. Like, exactly. I'm pretty sure, like, during that time period, she would have understood if you went away, but you decided to stay. And this is why she has that issue of, did you stay with me because you wanted to write about me and Mm -hmm. not because you actually love me?
0: Yeah, because love, you know, uh, unconditional love, you give without expectations to receive that could be in platonic loves or friendships you know loving your community whatever like you know in relationships it's the same thing when you give you know it yeah it was it was it was like he's accusing her of being a leech when he's leeching her life story and and you know channeling that into his genius piece you know it's it yeah I love what you said, yeah. <laughs> Malcolm and Marie too is a Lego movie, right? Like, like yeah, that's, he, that's he, what he's doing. He, she'll
2: she be she'll be gone, hopefully to somebody better, and he will be doing some movie where he like it don't have a soul to it, but you know I'm making a bunch of money and I'm successful, and this is where I'm at. Yeah. Um.
0: So, what was the most toxic moment for you? To pinpointing.
2: I mean, it's it, it was that scene. Mm. And I mean, the way it's filmed, like you said, she's in a bath, she's vulnerable, she's naked. And I noticed like the more the angrier or the more aggressive his, you know, conversation with with Marie is, is the like the amount of clothes she has on throughout it. That like that's the most rough one is during that time period, is when she's in the bathroom. Cause she can't go anywhere. Like and he's in front of the door and he's going through all of this. He
0: went back and forth, too. He, like, yeah. was going to peace out and then came back specifically. Yeah. And she's trapped there. They're locking eyes. Yeah, because
2: he, he, he did the, like, I've been angry enough to do the walk. And you walk back and forth and you're thinking about your next comment. Then you're like, should I say this? No, I shouldn't say this. You know what? I'm going to go say this. And then he went back in the room and said everything that right he probably shouldn't have said. And that's the thing. He says stuff. That to the point where it's like, it's really hard to come back from unless y'all decide to go through therapy and then go through everything. But I think with Malcolm, he sees himself as right and he wouldn't want to go through that. He's too proud. He, yeah. Yeah. He 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 would rather not be with her because I was like, what happens when y'all leave this, you know, beautiful ass, you know, rental home L- in
0: malibu it's supposed to be yeah. malibu but it's actually the bay but yeah
2: yeah this beautiful ass house and y'all go to wherever you live you live at now which is probably not as great as this and you know you don't have those hollywood flashing lights it's not an opening movie and you're you not on the set there?
0: anymore you're, you're going back yeah. to
2: real life right so and where do you to... go from there now and that's where i feel like that ending of them just like looking out and just standing next to each other it was like yeah this is it this is the last time we're really going to be together
0: yeah it seemed like a breakup um yeah so i want to go through just give a a couple quick hits uh as a homeowner design head i noticed right away the cb2 chairs in the kitchen i'm like oh don't those are cb2 (laughs) i've seen those in the catalog uh but I, i i love the way that they use the house as like a character not as beautiful as um Something like Parasite or something like that. But I, I liked, you know, some of the shots of them outside. That that was the most new wave inspiration to me. I love oh, no, I, I love that.
2: the shot from inside the bedroom looking outside. Yes. And then walking. Cause it was like a frame inside of a frame. Yep. And I was like, I was like, that's some very ass Wes Anderson. Yep. The way you set that up. Uh, I was like, I like that. Center frame. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. So it had like overall. It's, man, it's so hard because you can't divorce the conversation about the film from like your take on the film. I thought it was strong. I thought, you know, like it dragged in a couple places, but there are some very memorable scenes. I shout out to both of their performances. Yeah, um, it's crazy how much John David Washington sounds like his dad. Uh,
2: uh, I didn't <laughs> notice that because I watched Ballers and I yeah. didn't notice like that vocal inflection. It wasn't, uh, there's a movie called uh, Mice and Men um, and he's playing a cop in it. And like soon as the movie starts and I had my head down uh, because it's like the movie's just starting, nothing's crazy happened. And I just hear him talking and I was like, that is Denzel. And now ever since then, I was like, it's just Denzel. (laughs) I was like, he was just in the house with him all the time and just took up his whole voice. And now here we are like, it's yeah. very weird. It's really weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, shout out to John David Washington because he took like the long route to get there. He played college football, I believe. He wasn't really yeah. trying to use his dad's status in the game to come up, but I'm happy to see him out here. And, you know, Black Klansman was solid. Um, we're not talking about Black Klansman today because we're going to move on to Judas and the Black Messiah, but I haven't seen Tenet yet. I got to, I guess, rent it soon. Um, I got the TV for it so I can enjoy it. Yeah, but I think
2: it was number 13 in my top 20. Got you. Um,
0: all right, so let's move on to Judas and the Black Messiah, which, man, a lot of conversation. I really centered the show around. Um, so I got a lot to say in the intro. It's directed by Shaka King. Originally, he was in the same Sundance class as Ryan Coogler. He made a movie called Newlyweeds that didn't do well in Pans, and that kind of led him in a roundabout way. He directed episodes of Random Acts of Flyness, really, really dope show. Um and the lucas bros of lucas bros moving co comedy duo
2: love that yeah, show. i didn't know they, they were the ones that wrote it yeah. until like the movie was about to come out and i yeah. and i saw like an interview and i was like wait why are they interviewing them about this movie are they in it and i was like oh no they wrote it yeah. i was like that is
0: those brothers props to them because yeah. the only way to get a film like this made they pitch it as like the departed of co-incel pro right brothers like us we know about co Intel pro but you know maybe like gen z who's not doing the readings or something like that maybe you don't know that um but for anybody who doesn't know about that era i feel like a film like that is such a good gateway into learning about the worlds and frankly i was really shocked to see some of the stuff they quote unquote got away with in a warner brothers back film so shout out to them because they got this finance before june 2020 when corporate america wanted to be woke and listen to black voices and release their black lives matter statements right like the yeah. fact that they got this finance is crazy and i believe it was a brother i'm blanking on his name he put up 50 percent of the budget and then warner bros went and matched the rest um i just like just seeing it get made and seeing you know bronze production company on there like seeing all of these names that supported it, reminded me of like hearing Spike talk about how he films his first couple films. He went to Michael Jordan, got some money from him. He was selling tube socks. He went to Oprah. Um, and a lot of this was created because Ryan Coogler is a producer. Obviously Black Panther went crazy as a film, one of the most successful films of all time. So when they went to studios and Ryan's attached, it's a whole different conversation. So Shaka was very upfront about Black Panther the marvel movie really letting a black panther film get made um and then last notes yeah shout out to the homie quale chris who composed the score the soundtrack is dope i don't know if you, you listen to the soundtrack yet
2: uh yeah i have It's, it's dope.
0: um yeah so for me i gave it a five out of five i mean i like it reminded me of it's not on this man maybe maybe damn it's tough because like Moonlight's a five out of five for me, and this isn't Moonlight, right? So like,
2: maybe, you can't compare movies to I'm, each it's, other. It's so hard, <laughs> but like, like your rating is your rating for that movie in that movie alone. All right, so if I, then you you you'll you'll hit a thing up. I can't name this. movie. I know but, like, it's so you hard feel because it, that's how you feel. I got the same feeling of
0: like I didn't see that in a theater, but it's locked in my mind. So, like when I see a film and I can play back scenes in my head multiple times, I know that it made an impression on me. So it did that. Um let's get into your take on it and then we'll we'll go
2: back and forth. Now I know you mentioned Braun, but so uh that's not LeBron's actual production company. So, oh it's uh, not? Oh damn. No, his is Spring uh Springfield's Springfield Entertainment. So who's the yeah, Springfield Braun? Hill Company? So Braun is a it's a uh Canadian company. Mm. Uh, Man, <laughs> I was excited.
0: Movie. I was like Braun's really the GOAT
2: now, and I'll play. <laughs> yeah, but th- but their first movies, like these are these are some of their movies that they've actually put out. Joker. Queen of Slim, of Course Judas and Black Messiah, Roma J Israel, and their first movie that they did was uh, Fences. So like Fences you know, is dope,
0: you know, Joker's yeah. cool. We I actually might talk about my rant about Queen and Slim because that's tied. Uh <laughs> Go Lord. <for> it. Lord. <laughs> actually, I'm gonna get it off my chest now. I I, t- <laughs> I had to, because you brought up Queen and Slim. I don't know why you had to do this. I saw it on my birthday. When I could have went to that. go see, Knives Out, I had seen Waves like three days
2: before. Should have seen Knives Out. That's and I movie. was like,
0: bruh, <laughs> I really supported Black film. I was excited, you know. I, I man, I should have walked out, man. I was so upset. Like so, I said that I loved Daniel Kaluuya's performance so much that I forgave him for his performance in Queen and Slim, which you know. What you think about that
2: protest? That protest? Oh scene. my god! I was not <laughs> like sex scene. <laughs> there's so many
0: times I wanted to walk out during Queen and Slim, but I was like, you know what? I'm here. I paid. It's my birthday. I was so tight. I like, bruh. And then I saw, yeah. I was like, I should have went to Knives Out, man. I was so mad. Anyways, that's you my know book.
2: who's in Knives Out i seen that. Keep Stanfield. Yes, he is. Him. Oh, man, there's so many
0: A-list people in that film, too. I forgot that but, he's in there. But
2: that, that leads us back to Judas. Yes, um, go and ahead. also, if you want another movie about Cold Pro, there's a documentary called MLK uh, slash FBI, which goes on the whole J. Edgar Hoover going against him and mm-hmm. all of the recordings of um, ML, MLK that they did, which will make you look a little differently at MLK. But if you've seen Selma, you, could, you should know where that documentary concept goes to with you know martin luther king and um his forlander and that was outside of you know has nothing uh, to do with the civil rights yeah but <laughs> i mean that, that's <laughs> they infamous. recorded it they were there <laughs> that's
0: pretty infamous
2: as well yeah um so go ahead give and it they it did to... send it to um coretta so oh no nah, they but,
0: they was in that yeah. brother's business you, you start yeah. talking
2: about poor people's campaign all right gloves is off all right go ahead in, in, in any way to destroy them but i mean I really enjoyed this film. I have some nitpicks with the movie. Um, one of the main ones is just how it ended. Because <laughs> I felt like once you see the ending, and if you've ever seen Eyes on a Prize, which is a PBS documentary, um, William O'Neill. So like you take his last statement and then you try to replay in your mind everything you just saw they really don't match up with what you just saw um and this is where like you know the lucas rose talked about they were like you know some of these things we had to make up because we had no idea we didn't know if J. edgar hoover knew about you know the Fred hampton assassination which came out A few weeks later, after he finished, the movie was about to come out. It's confirmed,
0: true. Yep, streets Um, knew for a while.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but they also didn't know how big of you know what the role was between you know William O'Neill's handler and him.
0: Yes, William O'Neill committed suicide shortly after Eyes on the Prize, right? Which is kind of an indictment on him, and you know, clearly he had a lot of mental struggles. To he he also had a lot of plastic surgery afterwards and and chairman jr spoke about uh, fred hampton jr going to the funeral and not recognizing him because he had gotten so much plastic surgery this brother was after the events of the film this brother was doing so much dirt for so many years like you know you i'm surprised he you know didn't take his life sooner
2: because he well that's the thing he tried to kill himself multiple times Mm -hmm. this wasn't the first time he walked in front of cars this was They were like a multiple times. He has done this. He just ended up still alive. Um, It just so happened he got he actually finished the job after the interview. Um, But it also made me think of like Richard Aoki, who was, you know, an Asian dude that was part of the Black Panther Party, who supposedly was one of the highest government informants when it came to the Black Panthers. But if you talk to Bobby Seale, Bobby Seale was like, this is a hit job. This he, ain't no, he has nothing to do with them. And a lot of people have said that when it comes to Rich Aoki, yes, he was with the FBI. But by the time he got into the Black Panther, that's when his views changed and he was officially a Black Panther. He really wasn't given any information that they could really use. But the FBI says different as far as his involvement with them.
0: I just want to stick a pin in that real quick. It's interesting, too, at that time, Malcolm as well. When brothers were touring the world, they were meeting with Japan and other at the time, you know, anti-U.S. forces or whatever. And talking about
2: Fidel and Michael Mm -hmm. meeting in New York and mm -hmm.
0: talking about rising. It was it was a global struggle at those times and in a time where people weren't that connected. So go ahead. Keep keep going. My bad. I just had to add that.
2: No, but it, it makes you think. Like and I feel like they kind of like had their cake and eat it too because when you list watch eyes on a prize, William O'Neill states he did give up the blueprint to the raid of the Black Panther office. But when it comes to drugging him, when it comes to like writing down the actual house and what it looked like, he was like, I had nothing to do with that, which is a weird thing. But I mean. You can still have your demons because if he was never involved with Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton would most likely still be alive, but they also kind of gave us a bone where it was like almost how many that there's so many informants within the black Panther party. They don't know they're with each other.
0: Yeah. They were saying that there was maybe nine active agents that, um, you know, I'm blanking on the name of the character, but the, the, the white officer had about nine different informants and William O'Neill. Let, let's talk about, yeah, the psychology of William O'Neill. Cause, you know, Lakeith Sanfield had to get therapy afterwards to, to kind of handle playing that role. And I love Lakeith. Like, we should, we should, the Teddy Perkins episode of Atlanta, I've watched like 30 times. I love it. It's, I have it like memorized. I love Sorry to Bother You. But he's played The Sellout like twice for these amazing films. And, you know, to, to play William O'Neill, it's like, it's important. And, the film was actually framed originally. The original cuts focused more on O'Neill because, again, it was a departed-like story where we open with him, and it's not a Fred Hampton biopic. It, it can feel like that in in certain moments. Um, people were criticizing, "Oh, why is there not more Fred Hampton?" That's not the point, right? They're using O'Neill. I mean, as a if big you quote. if
2: you look at it, what's the movie called? Judas and the Black Messiah. So Judas is the first person. That exactly. They <laughs> exactly. So that that part of the criticism I didn't really
0: get, but um, yeah, just like he's, man, there's certain shots, like when he's under suspicion, right? Or the dream sequence, the way they use a couple unconventional shots. I was really, really taken with, um, Lakeith is such a special talent, man. I'll, I, I'll watch anything he's in, to be honest.
2: No, I agree. Um, I mean, like I say, in the way he can play these different characters from, you know, a Disturbed teen and twelve short, uh, short term twelve, um, like you said, Atlanta, uh, then Knives Out, where you know he's funny in it, and you know some more lighthearted hearted LaKeith, where or he's kind of a badass, and uh, I think it's the Girl in the Dragon Tattoo, where he plays like you know a dude that can actually you know handle himself in the in the movie, and to this, like it's great, and I love the the one scene of them going back to the bar. Um, where the gang was then you see like the reflection oh, of the was bar out. <laughs> <laughs> and him having to get into the back and he had to jump out the front yeah. uh, to save fred but you know he didn't want to but he was like i have to because like i can't just let him get beat down and I'm yeah he was ready to leave
0: the- he was like <laughs> plot- i love the way they shot that because you see his psychology he's like plotting his exit he's looking at a weapon it's like he's a capitalist who is all about his survival right like he made i think they were saying the equivalent of like a quarter million in, in, yeah. in 70s money, right? But this brother ultimately sold people out for his own gain. Um, I love the way that they shoot. What's the name of, of, of the agent that he dealt with? I'm blanking right now. Um, I'm blanking. But that's one of the best scenes when he's in the actual home, right? And he's
2: yeah. like, oh. And he's, he did say in uh, the world, when O'Neill said that he went to his home like a few times. So that was- yep an actual thing that actually did happen
0: yeah so that's that's what i actually the movie was we'll, we'll talk about it now the movie the only real historical inaccuracies because they had our, our fred uh chairman fred hampton jr on set and different panthers on set and they had done so much research the things that they embellished were the shootout nobody actually passed during the shootout in the office as well as they yeah. embellished another because I, I
2: saw that and i was like i never heard of this
0: no so they embellished <laughs> ultimately it's a movie warner brothers signed off they're gonna need some action scenes
2: right so, like roy mitchell that was uh, yeah, roy the roy mitchell right so paid by jesse plemons aka uh young matt damon aka super villain and super
0: <laughs> psychotic villain and everything he does besides comedies yeah. but um yeah i mean it was really historically accurate besides some of the shootouts they embellished right um yeah but and him then going- they,
2: like the Lucas said, the relationship between Mitchell and oneill they didn't like the whole him having dinners with him and things like that. They don't know if that's true. But. And then, and then the whole like if he actually did drug Fred Hampton, we do know he was drugged. So but that's the issue with all the informants that were around, because I like that they mentioned the New Haven case because, you know, they're talking about Bobby Seale. Of course, during his time period, the trial of Chicago Sevens going on. And because we are, we see him tied up. So actually, you can watch the trial of Chicago Seven and then watch this, and these same things are happening at the same time. Because in both movies, they mention it's all right. Uh, You know, the FBI got him, got him connected to this uh, murder in New Haven, Connecticut. So Mm -hmm. we're we'll get him one way or another. But he got off that as well. So
0: (laughs) yeah, I mean, what I love is the way that they portray the white characters, right? Like we're supposed to i don't know i mean i can't speak for a white person watching it but like you know the the agent he reported to was a little centrist right they try to humanize him and show that like you know he tried to hook him up with the business afterwards right so like black capitalism the idea of that inviting him to his home so it's like we can be amongst each other right but like you see and
2: then the scene with him and jayga hoover where he has like you know do you see yourself do you see a daughter Dane and a black man and he was like i don't know how to answer this question what does this have to do with anything and then Mm -hmm. you know the when he's like all right boom we got him Fred Hampton's going to jail we're good we did everything we needed to do and then it's like we need to do more and then him having to go through the motions in his head about you know we're really about to murder this man for no reason when we could just send him to jail but as you know uh Jagger who said, he's like, if you send him to jail, he's just going to become more popular. But the thing is... Um, they I, said, like, Alex Pac, H- he's going to come out like Pac. Fresh yeah. out of jail. But the thing is, like Alex Haley said about Malcolm X, he's now more popular after he got killed. So once you killed him, you just, all you did you was... him. That's him. You made him, yeah, a, you made him a martyr, because this was the era of the martyr during mm-hmm. this time period of everybody from, mm-hmm. you know, JFK, RFK, Martin Luther King, <laughs> Malcolm X, and now this is happening so like not only that you made him a martyr for yeah. everybody else to now pick up and keep going um because that's what makes me feel what that last scene from the documentary where he was like i was out in these streets like i was really doing it you could say whatever you could say about me and the fbi but i wasn't you know sitting on my couch i was actually out here doing it um rather than everybody else and that's where it's like it's this weird thing if like once they showed that it makes you go when what did I just watch? Because yeah, we know he ends up killing himself, but like his stance on what, who he was within the Black Panther Party doesn't connect with who he was really. Yeah, I mean he was living
0: clearly like multiple lives. Like now it's it's like, man. I I mean I don't I don't know if I really want to read on O'Neill. I mean it it is pretty interesting. Like his. I wasn't too super familiar with him specifically. I knew about the ideas of informants,
2: um, but, it's but that's just, why I brought up the Rich Aoki because this is not an uncommon thing for, yeah. you know, you take people that have nothing to do with what's going on with these, you know, parties and stuff like that. And then you put them in it because they're like, they don't know you. You're not actually an agent. You don't want to go to jail. So we're going to have you do this. And then they finally get with them and be like, this is what they're doing. They're giving food to kids and um, like they're just wanting to survive. Yeah. All right. I'm cool with them. This, yeah. You know, like, it's like, yeah, i am informed to you, but you know, I actually going to do everything that they're saying, not because like I feel like it's going to help the FBI, but because what they're saying is right. And so what it, was it's ultimately such... adopted by the
0: U.S. government, like the free breakfast programs. I talked about that yeah. at the beginning. The unification of the parties. Like the most interesting thing for me is like, it's crazy i guess i mean this was made during like the trump era and all this division and things like that but like this film hits so different now i feel like when it released like they released it during black history month originally was supposed to come out in august um the timing of the film is interesting i hope that uh everybody sees it right i feel like uh especially people who haven't read right or about the Panthers, don't know who Fred Hampton is. Is a great. I haven't actually read the Assassination of Fred Hampton myself, person. So I'm gonna go back and read it. I've I've actually handled real Black Panther newspapers and and thumb through those. I've been lucky to do that, but it's making me want to like dig down deeper. But I feel like after this film, I don't like it's tough because there's no box office to really look at the metrics or or or. Yeah qualifiers of success if it does get academy recognition and chaka king was saying he doesn't care about academy recognition because you know hollywood's not a meritocracy especially for brothers and people who aren't white male directors but i hope this really does what it what i feel like it could do because after this gets this is already out if it's successful man what was what could get made after right like i feel like that's how i felt about black panther while i was watching it Obviously, it's a Marvel movie or whatever, but like some of the stuff they were saying in Oakland in the Disney movie, that like some of the themes that they were talking about lightly, I'm like, yeah. man, like if they can, like Ryan is the GOAT, if he can get away with this in a Disney movie, imagine what he's gonna, you know, like ripple effects, right? So after this, I'm excited to see what comes next.
2: No, I agree. Um, but this is why we always gotta keep talking about these movies that then even the lesser movies that don't have you know warner brothers back in um because this is the thing we're at a moment where it's just you know being viral is good enough um as far as where you can go as far as your art now because we like you said there's no make metrics for when it comes to being you know going to the movie theaters there's no box office so the only metrics we have is talk online so precious you know, right <laughs> yeah so the best thing we can do is constantly talk about it I mean honestly right now that same company Warner Brothers is now trying to use those metrics to figure out what the hell they're going to do as far as DC Comics Yeah, um, that's a so whole
0: another conversation
2: yeah it is but they're using that's it because Snyder they, Cut 10 I'm playing <laughs> yeah but they're using it to figure yeah. out what they're going to do because I'll and F, let's be real if it wasn't for the internet there'd be no such thing as a Snyder Cut <laughs> so I that's know. the only reason is here um so it's like if you talk about stuff enough and you you know praise it or if you don't praise it like talking about it's just good enough just having a conversation you know you make it important um not them because you know they only go so far it's like asking you know the hollywood foreign press that's like the key word is foreign mm-hmm. so like when it comes to you know things made by people that look like you and i yeah, it's not on their radar. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, Regina King is," but that's because she is who she is. But like she's been yeah. in our life our whole entire lives. Yeah, you can find and, and, once she, and, and once she won one, she was on the radar, and that's now she's basically you know the Golden Globes version of Meryl street where she can't lose if mm-hmm. she's in a category. She she's most hands. likely going to win. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you're in it. You might as well just be like, "All right, I'll try next year, uh, <laughs> a year where she's not acting." just mm-hmm. keep directing um but you know it's on us to talk about it but i know one of the things you do want to talk about is that you know proletary versus the right? boris that france fanon that capitalism yeah, versus man. socialism so let's talk about
0: like the idea of like what ancestor were you right so like me and myself i've been in spaces where you know i've been in community spaces like i said before um i i really vibe with a lot of the socialism ideals they were talking about but ultimately like you know I'm, I am capitalist. We live in a capitalist society. I'm trying to use, I'm somewhere in between like where Sam Cooke was. Like I do financial literacy. I have a course, Mind Right, Money Right. I was teaching that to black and brown kids today, right? Like we live in a, not not to use the corny Joker line, we live in a society, but <laughs> if we're living in a in a capitalist society. You got to learn how to move in a room full of vultures, right? So ultimately, I don't believe billionaires should exist, but you know, if you're living in a world where you know, there's rampant inequality. Yes, we can point towards changes, but while we're here, I'm telling brothers to to get their money together and do what they need to do and let's buy back the block too. So I'm I feel like I'm closer to Fred, but I'm I'm I I I get mad when Ho says I was uh <laughs> I was born on the day Fred Hampton died cuz I saw how he gentrified Brooklyn, right? And I worked in that yeah. neighborhood of Gowanus and you know, we we walked through Brooklyn together and and that Dumbo area where we were at PNC Radio, J Street is all yeah. condos, right? I remember.
2: So it's just like, like when he mentioned the Dumbo line, like I could have bought a <laughs> Yeah, I could have gone a place in Dumbo with you and I think about our time there, us walking under the bridge and everything yep. else like while we were there. So, yeah. It's
0: done. Like, you know, ultimately you know even myself i moved out of harlem i live in jersey city i bought property because i saw what it was you know and and i benefited off of my my home values gone up a lot right and and that's me using the system capitalism ideals but you can go and give back so i i don't honestly you know i can't say i'm Fred because i'm a capitalist but you know i'm, I'm for sure not no william o'neill i'll tell you that
2: well you can just say this you can just say you're american Mm. This is the thing. As America is a capitalist society, but look at almost everything we do. We do a lot of socialism programs. I mean, um, social security. Yeah, socials and almost everything from the New Deal from FDR are all socialist ideals. So just think, just be like I'm American. Like, yeah, like capitalism is the main thing, but also the ability to get back, the ability to bring other people up, the ability to just, you know. Not because that's the thing. And one, we're ever barely a capitalism society. Because if that was the case, we would just let everything fail. There be no such thing as too big. Too big to fail wouldn't exist. Yeah, I because, mean, people. <laughs> the issue we technically. Have now. People. That's how capitalism works. You just let it yeah, die. Yeah. Like, well, you didn't do well. Yo, Game bad. song
0: showed that, yo. Like, yeah. like what's interesting about America is we we want to. Yes, we do have socialism. FDR, right? We had all these things. America's kind and of bailing people
2: out, out because. We have to because
0: it, it, america is is capitalist until it's not convenient for big banks let's keep it a buck right yeah. like like can't be too free market now oh no no they can't be out here shorting GameStop game stocks stunk game stocks they can't be doing that right so yeah sorry i, I had to <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy
2: no but it's it's true like that's why i was just be like you're american because it's like you you have to kind of walk in between both because One is not, all of them are not 100% correct. Um, Because this is the thing, as much as I will love, like I love France Fanon, you know, The Red Show, The Earth. I love reading everything he wrote, and the Black Panthers took a lot from him, especially mm-hmm. about the Lupin proletariat, which are you know the poor, the robbers, the thieves, those in jail. Which made me kind of proud that the jail scene is when he mentions Fanon. And mm-hmm. He was like, you know, I'm teaching these brother that because yeah, they're considered the wretched of the earth, mm-hmm. you know. But when the wretched of the earth are with the poor and with those that need it, when they have to fight against the bourgeoisie and the rich. They're going to be the ones to win because they have the numbers at the end of the day. The Mm -hmm. only issue is the best way to divide and conquer that is to take people and be like, you're not like them. Race. This is why why we have overseers, because Mm -hmm. this is the thing. The poor whites were as poor as the slaves during that time period. Some of them were slaves, Mm -hmm. but they were like, we'll make you overseers. And you're Mm -hmm. better to them. And then when that didn't work, we'll give you land. You have the right to vote now. And now, like, you keep pushing them. And so now they think that they're better or that, you know, things are being taken away from them when the whole time is like you're being gamed by those that don't even care about you. Mm -hmm. But they need you to do their dirty doings because, hey, it's, you know, if you don't do it, we're not going to be okay. You yep, can't I mean, stay rich if you don't do it. So you, you need the poor to, to be. You rich. have to be mad at people making more than fifteen dollars an hour because, hey, you don't like. You can't have somebody at McDonald's making that type of money. What do they do?
0: <laughs> they're not going. They're not going to work anymore. How are you gonna get that? That man. Um. People are tired of hearing me talk about it because I talk about it so much in the intro. But, uh, man, I. T- I love the patriot scene for that when he goes into the the hall and it's with the confederate flag is up and they show that moment yeah. of class unity right. I wonder if that's the thing. Like we're so divided now. Like um, I have brothers who who live in New York City and not New York City in Long Island, right, in the state of New York, and that's basically Trump country. I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, out there. No, I'm gonna yeah. keep it a buck, right? <laughs> um, we all we all know that, right? In the Northeast, there's certain certain towns, certain whatever. It's it's real real funny under the light, right? um but i wish like that audience could see it right because fred hampton was talking about class unity right
2: yeah um i mean um, that's what's the last thing Malcolm uh martin luther king talking about poor
0: people's campaign right
2: yeah because he was like you know what yeah the race it was like you know we get this class issue issue situated first we can move a lot more further when we just Mm -hmm. let know like i'm poor like you're poor they're doing us dirty and they're benefiting often and you need to be able to see that and you need to be paid what you're worth like we can't move forward if we're all going against each other fighting over scraps that we don't own Mm -hmm. and that everybody's benefit off of you know. The racism was like, yeah, you burned down the town and then somebody else came in and then redevelop everything. And now you're out. And as for black poor and white pores in areas like that, they'll move you out without mm-hmm. any issue.
0: Mm-hmm. The developer money hit different. They don't care about yeah. your little uh, V.A. loan, bro. Sorry to tell you. Or, or when they when they're building uh, factories that, you know, lower your life expectancy um we we're getting so far from the film but we also deep in, diving deep into the film anything else you want to say about your film and i don't even know i might have cut you off before you even got your rating in
2: oh my rating for this was not also another 4.5 um like i say i have to see a movie unless it hits me like right here um, and I know you was like, "Oh man, you went through an emotional thing." And I was like, "Nah, man, I just watched the films. <laughs> <laughs> I watched them all three back to back." I was, I was like, like, "How did you
0: do that, bro?" Because Malcolm and Marie just killed me alone, man. Like I, I do
2: film festivals, so I'm yeah, used to right. like I go for it. I see something super crazy, then I gotta go laugh <laughs> at something for the next hour and a half. Yeah. So but I like that I watched Malcolm and Marie first, then following it with One Night in Miami, and then going into you know Judas and the Black Messiah. I felt like as far as those two one on miami and judas and black messiah they kind of felt good going together mm-hmm. um going from the 60s into the 70s um because you know we are we are talking about you know class in both of them we are talking about racism in both of them and just the talk of like where do we go from here what are we trying to do like you know the nation of islam are too radical you know that was the big thing for when muhammad ali You know, it was like, this is the last time I'm going to be Cassius Clay. And if you want to see something else about it, uh, Muhammad Ali, Made in Miami um that's another pbs documentary um y'all should definitely check that out to go along with um one item you should watch so many
0: like uh rumble in the jungle was is that what's the, is that the film where he's in yeah congo zaire like there's so and many then, uh
2: we are kings and yes 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 we we're kings yeah there's so but many if you good, just want one just yes. just basically just talking about his time in miami um, uh, because that is the transition uh, then it's there. And it's also kind of sad when you think about it. Like, this is really one of the last times that, you know, Shabazz and Muhammad Ali were actually cool. Mm-hmm. Um, And then at the end of the day, Muhammad Ali was like, oh, shit, he was correct the whole time. <laughs> he was getting played <laughs> he, yeah, by the NOI, and, yep. Yeah, and then he had to leave. And I would give props to Regina King because this is one of the, the first films I've seen that mention um, Louis X, which we know is Farrakhan. Because when it came to actually doing Malcolm X, Spike Lee was not able to because once you open up that door, that opens up a bunch of other conspiracies or theories about how Malcolm X got killed. Even though there was other stuff that came out this week, it doesn't deter deter from that because, I mean, we all know that Malcolm X's daughter at one point tried to assassinate Louis Farrakhan because of. Issues between her father and him, um and how the N O I treated her father. Because even if you read the book that's behind me, he was like, Wait, "People are watching me, and there are some of these people I actually know." Oh, yeah, <laughs> and
0: I love that they show that too. Like he's he's yeah. suspicious of, of his own brothers, whoever is around, right? They show that vigilance, yeah.
2: and they, and they show that there's this FBI talking to a brother. And he, he peeps it right before they go into the diner, which we know mm-hmm. all of those famous pictures are from of, you know, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X in a diner. But before he walks in, he sees one of his brothers talking to two white dudes, where it's like he shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, he they already kind of mentioned that he's they're already writing this book behind me um, and that, you know, time is taken down. He already and the way he talks about everything in the movie is like he's not going to be here. It's like it's on y'all three because i'm not going to be here um and he was an elder
0: statesman because they were all kind of a little younger yeah
2: yeah but back to judas i just i mean this it's a good time for black film and you know i'm enjoying like i've watched a movie called the weekend which is like you know this love square story but you know has nothing to do with race, it's all black characters, but I just love just watching, you know, black people being normal, black people actually talking about something, you know, it, it just not being one thing, because once you get caught up in it, then, you know, people do get turned off from it. Cause I can understand if somebody goes, I don't want to see Judas and a black Messiah because I'm used to seeing all these things on TV, yeah. I already know what they do to us. So like, I don't need to double down on it, but, you know, I think we're getting to a period of just having options and having, you know, multitudes of things to see just for us. Well, not just for us, it's for everybody, but that is, you know, pointing at us and that we can see, like, you know, we see the blackness in it. And I'm just enjoying every minute of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, f- so I'll keep it 100. Like, I didn't 100% love Craft Country, and I know love, love Craft Country, and a lot of people, yeah we're on the spectrum love the book i
2: Mm. love the book Mm. i love the book more than i love the actual show
0: yeah Uh, the show's not perfect but what i'm what i love is how it kind of moves around in genres right so there's afrofuturism that's represented like again lovecraft country is not a perfect show by any means but there's parts of it that hit really hard and i'm like man like Shout out to Warner Brothers or HBO. Like the more that we're pushing this button and the more we're going in more directions, we have more options, right? Yeah. And, and and that's what I want to see. I want to see more Afrofuturism. I want to see. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have to get you back on and we'll we'll talk just like black film period. Because
2: yeah, I was just excited. And I would say this. For those that didn't like it, I would say check out the book because I will say the book really hits home about the green book and how important it is as far as because I never knew about it until I read Love Cat Country, the actual book and how important it was. And I feel like them changing certain characters, genders kind of switched things about like what the roles were for certain things. Um, I get what they were doing as far as the show. Um, but I just kind of like because it was like the show then went super meta because the actual book is in the actual show, and it was like yeah, no, this right. are, like <laughs> it was very confusing to
0: follow. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's definitely not. Yeah, I was like,
2: Oh, so the book I read is now actually a part of <laughs> this universe. What part of the they, future
0: are we in right now? Because yeah, uh, that
2: future stuff is in the book that yeah. does happen. <laughs> um, it just doesn't go all there and one of the characters is actually a um uh the daughter is actually uh a boy right um but then that boy ends up being the one that writes the story so but i love the book a lot more than because yeah it does get a little messy but it does hit on things like i give it props for everything they did with the emmett Till stuff Yep. um and I just noticed there's a lot of Chicago movies coming out. Like, oh, <laughs> Chicago right now. They're like, killing the game. It's, 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 it's like the basis of like almost all of, a lot of these black stories and a lot of stuff yeah. I've been watching is all based in Chicago for some odd reason. But um, maybe it's telling me something. Uh, but, hey, I'm just glad we are in this mode right now. And, yeah, I'm I'll be I'll be glad to talk about, you know, more black films and things coming out in the near future
0: that's what i'm about bro then that's 100 what it's about um so tell the people where they can find you uh your other podcasts and other things that you're working on give them your socials and where else to find you
2: um music wise um uh, haven't dropped anything in a hot minute um but i am working on a new album called good day greater tomorrow but you can hear my last project "The moment on any of your streaming services p h z s i c k s um any of my uh all my soldiers are at PHZ underscore S-I-C-K-S. So you Twitter, Facebook, um, or you could go to physics.com, no dash, um, to be updated on everything. You also you got some see, you know, dope
0: merch on, by the way. Yeah,
2: uh dope merch. I got vinyl. So, you know, if you want sweaters, you want hoodies, you want jackets, or you want a nice record in your record collection. You can get it on uh, March 5th, that Friday, on Bandcamp, since they're doing their, waiving their fees. Shout out to um, Bandcamp Day, yo. They be, they yeah. having my brothers eat out here. Yeah, so for Bandcamp Day, um, that vinyl will be going for $10 instead of the usual 20 so be sure to check out for that. I also do a wrestling podcast on wrestlingonwe.com. I am on every Wednesday at 6 p.m., Wednesday at 1030, Friday at 6 p.m., and every other Monday after a pay-per-view, um, we talk about what's going on in the world of wrestling. And uh, that's about it right now. But I mean, we got like, you know, 10 minutes, like 10 to 15 minutes before we find out about um all stars because oh, I kind of had this. <laughs> I knew who was going to come up. I know. I kind of have this feeling for some odd reason that I don't think any sons are going to make it. You think you're like, going to get snubbed? All right, man, we got to do. I think th- Go they're, ta- they're talking about um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are. Like cutting themselves out as far as the coaches picking, and it's gonna end up being like Mike Conley and Demar Derozan getting in there. We'll get in by technicality of like AD not playing. Yeah, Mike Conley never made it.
0: Yeah, I have Devin Booker in fantasy. He's like obviously Chris Paul being on the team hurts his assist numbers, but he's more than deserving. I voted for him. I took him like one game
2: from being the best team. We're one game from being the second best team in all the NBA. Yeah,
0: if y'all don't know. Me and, and Chris Physics, we've been in <laughs> some heated fantasy battles. We're not in the same fantasy league anymore, but we've nah. been in some, some heated fantasy battles. So maybe we'll get on and talk hoop again. I appreciate you hopping on, brother. And thank you. people should definitely follow, tap in with him from music to film to wrestling to hoop. He know what he talking about. Thanks for being on, bruh, bruh. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the show. Appreciate you. If you like what you heard, subscribe on your platform that you're listening to, or you can follow on Spotify or rate and review on Apple Podcasts. All those things help me grow the show and guarantee that I can continue to do it in the future. You can hit me at Jordan underscore Martins on all platforms. Shout out to the homie Physics, aka Chris, for tapping in. I will see you next time. Peace.
1: Education is the only way. Okay. got to educate the people. You got so. anything else you want to say? No, not, not particularly.
0: All right.